Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. It says this, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, even Jesus. So after healing a crippled man, Peter began to preach to the people in Jerusalem. He told them plainly in verse number 15, he said to those Jews, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, and to this we are witnesses. But the gospel always calls for a response. See, God's not interested in merely informing people. He wants to transform people. The gospel demands a decision from those who hear it. So Peter said to them, repent, therefore, and turn back. In other words, he was telling them, turn away from your sinful life and turn wholeheartedly to God. So repenting is not just letting go of something bad. It is also embracing something good. In other words, some people turn away from drugs and alcohol, but that's not enough. You need to turn to the new wine of the Holy Spirit. You need to turn to the satisfaction and the fullness that only God can give. Because if you don't do that, you'll go back. And the Greek word translated repent, I believe it's pronounced something like this, metanaeo. Metanaeo. And it literally means to think differently. To think differently. You see, you cannot accept God's word and still hold on to those old patterns of thinking. The gospel requires you to change the way you think. The God's word translation says, so change the way you think and act. Do you think differently? you will believe differently, and then you will live differently. Are listening to me? Some people want to change in their life, but they don't want to change their thinking, and they don't want to listen to anything. Just pray for me, and I'll go back home and be the same person I always was. No, you're confronted with the truth, and you must change the way you think. Hallelujah. Now, in Hebrews... Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, lists six fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. Six basic foundational truths concerning Christ. And I'm sure that most of you realize that Christ is a title. It's not Jesus' family name. 
Mary, his mother, wasn't named Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. Christ means he was born of a virgin. Christ means the anointed one. And the anointed one is always anointed. There's never a moment when he's not anointed. So we could call this, these six things, basic principles of the anointing. Basic principles, fundamental rules concerning the operation of the anointing of God. And the first one is repentance from dead works. Are you listening to me? Now, naturally, this would be the first step for salvation. But it's also for believers. We don't stop repenting just because we got saved. Think about it. The very next principle is and faith towards God. Well, do we stop believing in God after we get saved? No, no, no. We, we are called, not only saved by faith, we're called to live by faith. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. So that means if you want a greater measure of the Spirit of God in your life, if you want the Lord to work in a greater way, to a greater degree in you, you may have to turn away from some dead works. That's true. There may be some dead works in my life and in your life that we need to dismiss. The New International Reader's Version says we need to turn away from doing things that lead to death. Not just like physical death, but anything that robs you of life. Because we're called to have life and have it more abundantly. If you're a believer, you have life, but you may not be walking in abundant life. Are you out there today? So obviously this would mean sin, but it also could be anything outside of God's will for you. Or anything that's displeasing to the Lord. True. Now some folks, let me just dwell on this for a moment. This, this, does this have to do with revival? Yes, it does, and I'll show you in a minute. Some folks will tell you saints don't repent. Only sinners do. See, for some time there was a lot of false teaching that went around. We've done our best to kind of refute that, and I think we've been able to successfully put that in its place. But every now and then that crops up again. Well, no, you know, Christians don't need to repent. You ought to read the Bible. Put down that book and read God's book. Friend, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus, the head of the church, was speaking to seven different churches. And in his discourse, he used the word repent eight times. He's talking to believers. For example, in, a fee, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Revelation 2, 5, Jesus is talking to, he has a word for the church at Ephesus. He said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. What's that next word? What's that next word? What's that next word? Who's he talking to? Believers. Believers. Remember and repent. 
and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now see, again, some people might argue, well, then these people in Ephesus, they must not have been true believers. Well, you would not tell a sinner, do the works you did at first. If somebody came to the altar call to get saved, we wouldn't say, now go do the works you did at first. You mean all my sinning? Yeah. No, that's not what we would tell a sinner. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, you don't need to repent from something good, obviously. You need to repent from something, a dead work. You need to repent from something that's displeasing. I need to repent from something that's, that's not right or something that, that's, that's holding you back. What was the sin that these believers in Ephesus don't feel like I'm... I'm, I'm condemning you or trying to nail you to the wall. We're all together, but this is some things that we need to all confront, and I'm, I'm included in that, so don't, don't feel like I'm pointing a finger at you. If I point a finger at you, I still have three fingers pointing back at me, so don't, don't feel bad. But what was the sin? What was the thing that these believers in Ephesus needed to repent of? Because he said, repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick, which means my presence won't be with you. Was it drug addiction, substance abuse? Nope. Was it drunkenness, alcoholism? Nope. Was it immorality? Nope. Stealing? Lying? Nope. What was it? Verse 4. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, it's just real easy to look at the drug addict, look at the drunkard, look at the person who's not living morally and just point our finger at them, but what about this? In Matthew 22 and verse 37, Again, you don't have to turn there. You probably know this. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said the first commandment and the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If that's the greatest commandment, then to not love the Lord completely would be the greatest sin. Am I talking to anybody here? Don't raise your hand. I said, if that's the greatest commandment, then to break that would be the greatest sin. So there are some Christians who would never even dream of tasting alcohol. Mo do, no do. There's some Christians who are straight-laced their girdle's so tight, you know, they just look like they must be holy. And, and they, they would never, never, never dream of taking drugs. Never fool around in any way. But they're in a far worse place because their love for the Lord has soured. Amen. And again... According to Hebrews chapter 6, 
This is the fundamental principle of the anointing. So we could easily conclude, if you don't love Christ deeply, you'll never experience the fullness of his power in your life. I think the fact is, honestly, maybe for all of us to some degree, we don't love him enough. I think we love him when things are going well and not so much when things are going badly. I think we love him when he answers our prayer and not so much when it looks like our prayer has not been answered. I think we love him when everything we hope for seems to be happening and not so much when it looks like we're facing nothing but disappointment. But he loves you unconditionally. He doesn't just love you when you're good. He doesn't just love you when you do what he expects. He loves you even when you disappoint him. He loves you even when you disobey him. He loves you even when you fall flat on your face. So we need to love him back with that same love we love him because he first loved us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's go, let's go back to Acts chapter 3. He said that your sins may be blotted out. The Greek word means to erase, wipe away, wash, and I like this, obliterate. If something's obliterated, it's, it's destroyed. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus not only forgives you of sin, it destroys sin in your life. Can I get an amen? The Weymouth translation says this, so that the record of your sin may be canceled. Whenever anyone repents, even believers, whenever anyone repents, he begins again with a clean slate. That's good news, isn't it? He begins again with a clean slate because when God forgives, he also forgets. He removes that offense from his consciousness. He has divine amnesia. He said, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And it's in poor taste to remind God of something he has chosen to forget. Lord, you remember what I did back in 1984. No, I've chosen to forget that. Do not bring that to my attention. Well, the devil said this. I'd appreciate it if you stopped quoting the devil to me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that means no matter how far you've strayed, the moment you turn to the Lord to seek his forgiveness, you are immediately restored. I'm talking to believers. You are immediately restored. So, I, I was so fascinated by something that Brother Hagin said, and, and of course, many of us here, you know, our lives have, have, have been powerfully impacted by this great man of God. And, and, um, but this is what was so interesting to me. I, I heard his testimony. In 1950, Brother Hagin said he was preaching in one particular uh, locality in America, a tent meeting actually, and, and while he was praying, suddenly he had a vision of Jesus. It was more than just a vision, it was really a, a divine encounter. 
And the Lord talked to him for, I think, about an hour and a half about his life and ministry and different things like that. In keeping with scripture, I have no reason to doubt it. So in the course of the conversation, Jesus talked to him, talked to Brother Hagin about his calling and the things the Lord had told him to do in ministry. And then the Lord said these words, and you were not faithful. Boom, just you know, very frankly, and you were not faithful. And Brother Hagin said that he immediately, you know, uh, began to defend himself. No, Lord, Lord, I was faithful. You know I was faithful. That sounds just like you and me, doesn't it? Well, you know, Lord, I did what you called me to do. I, I, I was faithful, Lord. And the Lord said, no, you were not. And began to talk more and explain. And Brother Hagin said, as, as the Lord was speaking, I realized he was right. He was right. And he said, I fell down, you know, on my knees. And I began to weep. And I began to say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And he said this. The Lord said to him, rather frankly, rather matter-of-factly, you know, almost a little curtly, all right, I forgive you. Stand up and be quiet. And Brother Hagin said, that just blew my mind because I had been conditioned to think as a Christian, when you, you know, when you, when you fall into sin, when you mess up, when you do something wrong, whatever it is, you've got to grovel. You've got to just weep buckets. You've got to just beg God all night long. And he realized, that's not true. The moment I said, Lord, forgive me, he said, all right, I forgive you. Stand up and be quiet. I think some people are going on and on. I think some Christians think that you have to come to the altar and be theatrical. You have to demonstrate some, some great display of emotion. <laughs> yeah, Lord, help me, Lord Jesus. Bravo! <laughs> but, but that's not true. The moment you turn to him and say, Lord, forgive me, you're forgiven. All right, stand up. He said, I'll stop that. Let's move on. Woo! 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 That's good news. I mean, that's good news. Woo! What a relief. Amen. That means that heavy sense of condemnation, that heavy burden of guilt, that's, that's been removed. Glory to God. And then some Christians, I'll just say this, some Christians, when they fail, then they attempt to punish themselves. Oh, I'm going to fast for three weeks. Or I won't eat any ice cream this week. Tell my secretary, no more chocolate. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish myself. Or I'm, I have to sit in the back of the church. No offense, Brother Bomcha, but, you know, just, just in general. I have to punish myself, right? And, and I have to walk around looking sad. Everybody else can be rejoicing, but I, I, I dare not smile. 
because back in 1989, you know what I did. I can't shake anybody's hand or anything like that. And I have to just do that for a long period of time. God does not forgive you because you have suffered. God forgave you because Christ suffered for you. The, pay, the price for your forgiveness was not skipping a few meals. It wasn't, okay, Jesus said, okay, in Gethsemane, Lord, no more ice cream. No, no, that has nothing to do with it. You cannot purchase forgiveness. And it's not for sale anyhow. The price that was paid so that you could be forgiven was the blood of the divine Son of God. And you don't honor the Lord by saying, well, that's not enough for me. That's dishonoring God. But so our attitude should be one of gratitude, humility, and saying, Lord, and I received that, and so I thank you for it. And, and maybe somebody else will see you in church rejoicing, and it bothers them. Because they know what you did last week. He, why, why is he seated in the front? Ushers, take him to the farthest corner of the balcony. Don't, 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 you know, don't give him any tea or lemon tea after the service, you know. But you don't know. That person may have turned to God and said, please forgive me. And God said, it's done. Does that mean that Sinning is just a little, little light thing, nothing serious. No, no, my sin put Christ on the cross. It's a serious deal. But his forgiveness is an even more serious deal for where grace abound, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you still here today? Ooh, glory to God. Does that have to do with revival? Well, somebody needs to hear that. That's what it has to do. So according to Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, the reason we should repent, the reason we should turn to God, the reason we should be cleansed is so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Another thought here, bear with me. Peter was speaking to Jews at that moment who had not yet accepted Christ as Savior. You would think that he would say, repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be erased, so that you can go to heaven. Which is true. Nobody disputes that. It's just interesting that that's not what he said. In our evangelistic messages, in our outreaches, in our altar call, we typically say, receive Christ so that you can go to heaven, so you won't go to hell. And that's true, nobody disputes that fact, but one thing that's interesting is nobody in the book of Acts preached that way. Nobody. Instead, they emphasize this, forgiveness of sins. Just jot it down if you want to. Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, Acts 5.31, Acts 10.43, Acts 13.38, they all say the same thing, forgiveness of sins. Are you listening to me today? Hallelujah. 
Again, while I'm on that same thought, just bear with me. Many times in our preaching, I'm in general, you know, we say things like, receive Christ and you'll have joy and peace, and he can fill that, that, that emptiness in your heart. And, and, I, and, that, and, and I agree with that, and, and I say amen to that, but again, here's the interesting thing. Nobody in the New Testament preached that way. Which makes me wonder, well, maybe, maybe we need to think again about what we're saying here. Instead, what we read is things like this, Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The problem is the word sin is not even in our vocabulary. Even in many churches, we don't like to use that word. We say, well, I've made some mistakes. I've got some issues in my life and um, got some challenges. No. Jesus didn't die for your mistakes. He didn't die for your problems. He didn't die for your issues. He didn't die for your challenges. He died for your sin. And by trying to redefine it, you're weakening the power of his forgiveness. Oh, Lord, I missed it. What did you miss? Oh, Lord, I made a mistake. Sorry, it wasn't a mistake. You did it intentionally. <laughs> it's better to say, see, the Bible doesn't say if we confess our problems, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we confessed our challenges, what we need to say is, I sinned. And it's sort of humbling to say that. It, it sort of hurts when you say that. To say to God, I sinned against you. But that's how you receive forgiveness. Amen. Notice again, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The reason God obliterated our sin is so that we can experience his presence. He saved us so we could walk. He could walk with us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 10, 19 says this. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that opens the door of heaven. It's the blood that ushers us into the glory. It's the blood that gives us boldness in God's presence. It's the blood that gives us a standing before the throne of God. Hallelujah. It's the blood of Jesus. That brings refreshing. If you want to be refreshed, major on the blood. If you want the Spirit of God to move, talk about the blood. I think it was Charles Wesley, the, the, the brother of John Wesley, in one hymn he wrote said, The glory follows the blood. The glory follows the blood. Hallelujah. Sometimes we like to talk about the glory. We like to talk about miracles. We like to talk about, you know, the presence of God. But we don't like to talk about the blood. But the glory follows the blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me say this to the students. Do you think, and church members have heard me say many of these things before, but do you think God could speak to you through like a DVD, CD, or the old-fashioned cassette tape. Years ago, my wife and I were in America, and we had lunch, dinner, at one brother's house. And it was nice and everything. And then, um, as we were about to leave, 
he handed me a box full of, these are cassette tapes. This was uh, 20 plus years ago. You know what I mean, little, the little audio tape recordings of, of sermons and messages, a box full of them. And said, I want you to have these. Maybe you could take it to Nagaland. Well, I mean, you know, we have only two suitcases we can take, and I can't buy anything here. Nothing fits me. The shirt that you all gave me, that did fit me. That was unusual. But nothing else. This, you know, I'm, I'm imported, and so are my clothes. And nothing, because the Indian body is that, and the American body is that. And it just, nothing fits me, you know. So, I, so I, you know, I don't have a lot of room for other things. So I just grabbed a handful, three, four, five cassettes, and I just threw it in my suitcase, you know, and then we, we came to Nagaland. And in the morning time... I, in those days, I had like a little cassette Walkman, you know what I'm talking about, with little, little ear, earphones, like that type of thing. We didn't have MP3 and all that stuff. And um, so I'm, I'm walking. And, and so uh, before I went for my walk, I grabbed one cassette tape. And I just, I didn't even look at it. I just put it in my little cassette tape player. And so I'm walking. And I'm listening. And I'm, th and I'm not even really listening very well because I'm thinking about the church. And I'm thinking about God, I... I, you know, I want you to do more, and, and, and we're just not experiencing enough, you know, supernatural things, and I was kind of bothered by those type of things. And the cassette tape was Benny Hinn, and he was preaching or teaching somewhere, and in the, as I'm walking around, in the middle of the message, he suddenly said, Pastor John, if you want the glory of God in your church, preach on the blood. And then he went back to saying something else. Well, in the middle of the road, I just stopped. <laughs> Did you all hear that? <laughs> I suppose there was a pastor named John in the meeting, and, and Benny Hinn just happened to say that. But I also believe that God knew that there would be a, a fellow going to Nagaland, so he arranged for somebody who had that cassette tape, you know, after dinner, said, just take that to Nagaland. And he knew that I needed to hear that. Hallelujah. But here's the point. If you want the glory of God in your branch church, talk about the blood. I said, talk about the blood. Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Hallelujah. Whew. Whew. Praise the Lord. You see, we can never experience intimacy with the Father if our hearts are stained with sin. When my son was very young, just a little fella, he was quite active, you know? And he'd run around in the compound, our house, you know, and he'd play, just have a good old time. And, and he'd be covered in mud and dirt. And one, he'd come running toward the house. And I would stop him. Whoa, 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 not so fast, Buster. I mean, he's head to toe. He's just covered in dust and dirt. And I took like a water pipe. And standing there in the grass, I just hosed him down. I didn't reject him. I rejected the dirt. And sometimes we want to come rushing in. God says, whoa, 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 not so fast. We need to hose you down first. Before you come in my house, we're going to hose you down. We're not rejecting you. We're rejecting the dirt. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody here today? Praise the Lord. Okay. I thought this was survival. Okay, here we go. Times. <laughs> Times of refreshing. It's only been 31 minutes. I'm just getting warmed up. That's my introduction. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The Amplified Bible says this, restoring you 
like a cool wind on a hot day. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, especially having lived in Dimapur for nearly 30 years, whoever invented air conditioning should get the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know who it was, but he should just get it. <laughs> Whoever that is, God bless you. So the presence of God is spiritual air conditioning. Come on, how many of you, you know, you're outside, and when you walk in the church, and it's really hot today, and we're trying our best, we actually put in a new unit right here in the back. Did you know that? There's a new AC unit. That's why the students are so cold. It's blowing right over their head. But you're outside and it's like, I'm melting. But then you come in here, ah. Sometimes you don't think the AC's on. You know, you're in the service, you know, for an hour, a half. And you think, they, I don't even think the AC's on. You go out in the foyer, yep, it's on, it's on. Let's go back inside. Now, when the AC stops working, something's wrong, man, Pastor John says something like that. He don't wait. And, and they call the people to repair it and fix it and find out what's wrong. Even at my house. Sometimes they'll come late in the afternoon. They're working. I said, cello, cello, cello. You know, just, it's okay. Give the guy some tea or something, but let him fix this. If the spiritual air conditioning is not working, we need to get it fixed. We don't need to sweat outside the presence of God. We need to find out what's wrong and remedy right away with no delay. Can I get an amen from you? An hearty, a hearty amen from you, amen? Another translation says this, seasons of rest, refreshment and comfort. Seasons of rest, refreshment and comfort. There are seasons in the year and there are seasons in our lives. Now in Dimapur, winters are pleasant and brief. Last year, winter was on a Thursday. <laughs> Some of you students, when you go back to the dorm, you look at that heavy coat that you brought and that thick blanket and those sweaters and you think what was I thinking <laughs> my wife calls this the shameless month it's so hot please call before you come to my house <laughs> And I'll do the same before I come to your house, too. But in America, in some parts of America, of course, you know, some parts of India, too. I don't know, Pastor George, maybe it's, does it get cold in the wintertime where you live? It gets cold there. It gets cold there. His teeth began to chatter just as he said that to me. So it's cold there. So, so in, in, in America, some parts are, in the wintertime, it's really cold. It's bitterly cold. It's harsh. It's totally dreary, and a lot of people, they kind of migrate in the winter down south. They all go to Florida or things like that, because it's like that warm sunshine. It's like, ah, I feel like a human being again. And they'll stay, then, th th some of them will not just visit for a weekend or something like that. Some of them will even get another house 
And like they'll, they'll if they can afford it, you know, they'll, they'll live there in the wintertime. Some of them stayed like whole winter. There are people all over India that come to this place to escape the harsh, bitter winter of their spiritual environment. To come to this place to just find refreshing and rest and comfort for their spirit. Hallelujah. So we earnestly ask you, please come back. Please come back. Anytime you want, come back. Because we want this to be a refueling station for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If our bodies are tired, we know we need to sleep. Some of you are doing that right now. If our minds are kind of stressed or overweight, we know that we need to take a break. Maybe just uh, do something else for a little bit. Just get some recreation or, or something of that nature. But often our spirits are neglected. Your inward man needs refreshment as much or more than your outer man. And often, the people who need spiritual refreshing the most are the ones who realize it the least. We talk about revival. You look around the room and say, oh, good, Brother Zama is here. He needs this message. Have you looked in the mirror recently? <laughs> I love it when I hear some ministers say, we're praying for worldwide revival. Oh dear, why don't we start with you? <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me go on. I'm not through insulting everybody yet. Hold on. I'll, I'll, please be patient. I'll get to you. Okay. <laughs> the New Life Version says this. Then many times your soul will receive new strength from the Lord. You need new strength. From time to time, you need new strength. You know this, this verse, Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, in what way? First thing he says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You're not supposed to be scratching in the dirt. You're supposed to be soaring in the heavens. You know, I don't know much about it, but eagles don't flap their wings, you know, rapidly like a hummingbird or, or like a little sparrow. <laughs> they, just, they just extend their giant wingspan. A golden eagle has a, a wingspan that's uh, something like uh, almost seven feet. Huge. They, 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 they expand, expand their wings and then they, they catch the, the updraft of the therm, thermal drafts the, the, the air rising from the earth, and it lifts them up. In God's presence, you're lifted up. In his presence, you will soar above the challenges and all the problems, the little, the little things that have bothered you and huh, just, just nagged you and haunted you. Just soar above it. Amen. Can I get a better amen than that? One more time. Oh, and, then, and then the Williams translation says this. 
times of revival. Times of revival. God wants his people to be revived. We need fresh injections of life. And notice the scripture doesn't say in Acts chapter 3, verse 20, a time of refreshing. But, or t a time, singular, of revival, but times. Times of refreshing. Times of revival. Plural. Listen to me. Listen to me, folks. Many churches throughout history were born in the fire of revival only to slowly die smoldering in the ashes because they had one time of revival. But you're supposed to have many times of revival. Dying churches hearken back to a better day in a bygone era. They always want to relive the past. And they ruefully, sorrowfully, always compare today with yesterday. When you start saying things like, well, this is nice what we have tonight, but I remember back in 1998, you're dying. You're living on memories. Are you listening to me? Oh, I remember when I was a little girl. Listen, honey, you ain't a little girl anymore. You need to, you, when the glory cloud moves, you need to start pulling up those tent pegs. It's time to move with God. It's time to move forward. Hallelujah. Living churches are in the now. They know that today is the day that God has made, and they're not looking back, they're pressing on. Hallelujah. You can be grateful for all that God has done in the past while also pressing forward to grab hold of all that God has for you. Amen. Are you listening to me? Glory to God. Stay up to date. Stay up to date. Times of revival. Like a surfer. Mm, I grew up near the ocean, and uh, my son likes to surf with a big old surfboard, but I just body surf. And of course, my own surfboard is pretty big too. And, uh, but you catch a wave, you catch a wave. You're in the water, maybe this deep or something, and you see the wave coming. And what do you do? You, you position yourself. So you can't catch the wave on the beach, you've got to be in the water. Some people never got off the beach. That's their problem. You see the wave coming. You position yourself. You get ready. And at that right moment, you catch it. And now you're not trying to push yourself forward. You're not trying to, 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 to accelerate. It's taking you. It's moving. It will accelerate you. You're caught in that wave. But then waves crash. And it disperses. Some churches caught a wave. And they rode it all the way to the beach. And they've been there for the last hundred years on the beach. Talking about that big wave back in 1956. <laughs> but once you catch that wave, know this, another one's coming. Catch that one too. I want all that God has for me. 
I want all that God is doing. Now, I, there's some things that are maybe, you know, not really of God. There's some all kinds of crazy things. But, but I'm talking about something that's genuinely from God. I want to catch the next wave as well. Hallowed times of refreshing. Wave after wave after wave. Come on. Wave after wave of glory. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. There's more to say. Can you bear just a little bit more? Refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It comes from the presence of the Lord. God is omnipresent. He's always everywhere at the same time. But we should say his presence is not always manifested everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that God's not there. The, the psalmist said, even if I make my bed in Hades, you're there. Or in Sheol, you're there. But God's presence is not always manifested everywhere. The word manifest means to be revealed, to become clear and obvious, to be plainly demonstrated. In other words, God's presence can become so strong that you feel it, you sense it. Now, I know that God's with me. I know that God's everywhere because the Bible says so. But I don't always feel or sense God's presence everywhere I go. Are you listening to me? The Spirit of God lives in every child of God. But not every Christian is revived. Some are drier than a bone. Amen? It's the manifest, tangible presence of God that brings revival. To summarize it, I'm going to finish now. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. I said we need a move of the Holy Spirit. All of us are continually surrounded by air. We're living in this ocean of gas in our atmosphere. We're just not aware of it. Air is everywhere around us, in the earth. But some days, you can just wait patiently for me, okay? I'll let you know when it's time to come. Hallelujah, thank you very much. Some days are still. The air's not even moving. And then some days are windy. And you can feel, you can feel it. You can see the effects of the wind. It's, it's obvious. It's on windy days that the church is revived. When the Spirit of God refreshes and renews his people. Smith Wigglesworth said this, If the Spirit does not move me, I move the Spirit. If the Spirit does not move me, I move the Spirit. Instead of just waiting for something to happen, we can seek God's face. We can press into his presence. We can pray. We can praise. Hallelujah. We can, we can pray because revival delays when prayer decays. You can't work it up but you can pray it down. If you want the wind to blow, 
you need to move. The Spirit of God is actually always moving. And if you will move with him, you'll experience the tangible presence of God. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me to your feet right now? Glory to God.